Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hi there, it's Lucinda Carney from the HR Uprising. And now we're going to do something slightly different. We thought that we've been lucky enough to go over the last six months and thank you to everybody who's listened, who's joined our LinkedIn group, who has given us five-star reviews on iTunes. Please don't stop, thank you so much. Uh, What I've always wanted to do with this is to ensure that we're really keeping it real. I always want the content to be practical, but I also wanted to create a community. So I say we have got our LinkedIn group um, on, if anyone please feel free to join. And I want to hear from real life HR professionals. I do find that quite often when you listen, when we see what's out there, it tends to be a lot of the same people that you hear all the time. And I know that when I was an internal HR person, I didn't actually have that much time to network. So what I was hoping to do with the HR Uprising is to give us a chance to um, broaden out the voice and hear from more people. So what I wanted to do, the idea came along from it being Christmas time and 12 being a number commonly associated with Christmas. And we decided that it would be really good fun to do 12 12 minute conversations or roundabouts 12 minutes. It was quite hard to keep some people to 12 minutes. Had so much to share and um, some really interesting conversations that could have gone on and on. And what we're going to do is over the next four weeks, we will have three HR professionals, people like you and me, and we're just going to hear their story. We've got independents, we've got um, HR directors, we've got people who are much more operational, but everyone's got a story, everybody's got a journey, and what we're going to do is hear their journey, hear about their challenges, um, ask them about any advice they'd give their younger selves, and if they had a, if they had a superhero coat um, for HR, what is it that they would um, like to have their superpower? So it's quite a simple model. Uh, that's what we're going to run through, and this week is our first episode. And the three HR professionals who've been kind enough to give me their time here are Ian Ruddy, Helen Gilfillan and Lucy Barclay-Carr. So I do introduce each of them and they do introduce themselves, but just to give you an idea of this. So Ian Ruddy, he's the VP of Human Resources of Digital Digital Realty. Um, He's had a really extensive background and is in a number of senior roles. So it's quite interesting to hear where he's been and come from. I actually, my path crossed with him about 20 years ago when we both worked for Siemens. Then we're going to go on to talk to Helen Gilfillan, who I've actually met her as um, a customer of mine originally, and she's now set up her own HR consultancy. She's literally going for it for the first time. It's really exciting to hear what she's doing there and how she's going about establishing her own business. And then completely different again is a lady called Lucy Barclay Carr and she's HR, FD and Operations Director in the business that she runs and she founded. So she's got a completely broad commercial role as well. So they've all got different stories. I hope you'll get something out of each of them. And next week we've got three entirely different people too. So thanks as ever for tuning into the HR Uprising podcast. 
do tell your colleagues and friends and I hope you enjoy our 12 in 12 series. So good morning and welcome to Ian Ruddy and Ian is the Vice President of Human Resources at Digital Realty. So Ian, thanks so much for coming on to our 12 in 12 podcast. Uh, as you know, it's just a quick run through, but could you just give us a little potted history of your career to date? You've num- I've seen that you've done a number of really interesting roles. Yeah, hi, hi, Lucinda, great. And thanks for the opportunity to talk with you and, and share uh, some insight on my career to date. Um, yeah, I started actually my career actually as a student with British Telecom when I was doing my undergraduate degree and I needed some money to pay off, pay off my bar bills. And I started a job with uh, BT in what was then called a personnel function. And uh, combined with then an academic interest in what was then called industrial relations. There was no human resource management at the time. Um, I did a master's degree and then my career took me into my first job with Honeywell. Um, And then I uh, started uh, with uh, um, uh, Siemens shortly after that, working in their, their telecommunications business. And that then really got me into kind of uh, what I would call tech and IT. I then joined uh, Cisco, had a great career there with Cisco for a number of years. Uh, After that, I joined uh, what was O2, which we used to be called BT Cellnet. And then that was acquired by Telefonica. Um, And I worked there for almost actually 10 years in the end, doing numerous different roles, both at a UK, European and global level role. Uh, even had the opportunity to be the CEO of my own company, Telefonica right. European Services. So I was able to start a business, grew that to 130 people in Dublin and Ireland. Uh, then did a global role for them based out of Madrid. Uh, then after that, I went to work for a French startup called Criteo, who most people probably haven't heard of, but you'll see their clicks and their advertising um, on uh, most websites you go shopping on. So they're like a, a French version of Google. Okay. And I was based in Paris for two and a half years, and uh, that was great fun. Um, and my French improved a little bit. Uh, and then after that, I, 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 um, I started a, a role with a company called CX Loyalty, um, helping them transform their business to be more digital. And finally, my current role, which is working with digital realty. And effectively, what we do is we provide the foundation of the internet in terms of providing uh, data centers for and data center solutions from a range of um, clients ranging from large global enterprises, uh, big cloud players, uh, down to smaller uh, uh, country-based enterprises. And it's been a great, great, I've had a great time. That's like, I mean, that's loads of, um, loads of, of moves, very much tech, um, tech-centric. Do you think that it's been important to have, or is there a reason? And you know, obviously, because HR is, in theory, you know, it, it doesn't have to be sort of specific to an industry. It, have you stayed in these sort of links for a reason? Yeah, I think a um, couple of things. One is I actually am curious about technology, although I don't have a technology background, and that has tended to orientate me more towards those organisations. There are certain industries which I just couldn't work in. For a number of different reasons either for ethical reasons frankly or yeah. just because it just wouldn't be me culture wise um and also you know it isn't so much attracted by the hr dimension for me the first attraction is what's the business about and what's the business 
trying to achieve. Somewhat HR is somewhat secondary for me. Do you think that's why you've ended up in um, as senior roles as you have then, because of having that more business focus? Um, <laughs> probably, probably by accident rather than by planning. But, <laughs> you know, look, I, I, I can see myself as a business leader with an expertise in HR. That's who I yeah. am. Yeah. Therefore, I'm trying to apply that knowledge to the right business environment. And that has been a core for me. So if I've been through interviews, I will talk about the financials. I'll talk about the balance sheet. I'll talk about the P&L. Probably before I start talking about HR strategy. And how, how would you link something like um, the P&L and, into HR? Because obviously a lot of the time, if you're influencing you know, your other board members, how do you make those connections for them? I think in many different ways. I mean, um, first of all, I think to understand a business, you have to live a business. Therefore, at a senior level, you really need to get under the skin of what the business is about and know the business, not only in terms of the financials, that's important, but also what do people do on a day-to-day basis for customers? And for instance, the current business I'm in, I've spent a lot of time in our data centers, spending time one-to-one with our uh, engineering teams on site understanding what they do and the provision of services to our customers. Um, and therefore, I think um, uh, my career has been built on being able to find entry points where I feel I can make a difference by bringing my expertise to the table. Um, we can talk about seats at the table later on as another topic, but um, I, I and I may have been able to find niches at certain times in my career where I'm able to do so. Uh, you know, it hasn't been unusual for me to be involved in sales pitches to potential clients. Great. So I, get, I mean, that, that's really interesting in terms of the, the, the links there and, and the whole concept about seats at the table and, and things. As you say, there's lots we could talk about. I suppose just keeping it um, focused and going back in on my 12 in 12 questions, so along the way, have you got a challenge that you'd share that you've overcome along the way in your career? I mean, one of the things that um, uh, I've learned as I've aged in life is that I, I have a fundamental belief in possibility, that if we put our minds to something, we can achieve it, whether that's work, at home, at play, whatever, whatever it might be, whatever your passion might be. And it doesn't have to be, you know, taking on the world. And therefore... I think one of the things that I've always done in my career is, and it's part of probably part of my development strategy is, I've always said to people, hey, can I have a go at that? So I've always put my hand up. And in some cases, I've put my hand up for things I've never done before. I've, I don't know anything about, but I give it a go. And I'm pleased to say in the majority of cases, I was successful. There's one or two areas where I wasn't. But I took the learning from that. Yeah. And whether that's understanding about transfer of undertaking protection of employment legislation so you could support our salespeople on a sales pitch through to building my own business from scratch on behalf of Telefonica in Dublin or whatever else it might be or implementing a global HR solution, I've always given it a go. And generally, it's worked. So it's almost like you really just like being up for the challenge, trying something new and going for it. Yeah, and it's one of those things I also share with my team for their development because I'm pretty clear with my team when I say to them that, you know, growth doesn't happen by standing around. 
if you want something in life, you got to go get it. So if you want to grow in your role, here's all the myriad of opportunities we have. All you have to do is come and ask me and I'll make it happen. So did you ever have any, um, I mean, these opportunities, did you have to go out and look for those opportunities to grasp them or were they offered to you? They were generally there in front of me in the sense of it was a project that I saw or initiative or, and, and often I'd just say to whoever the owner of that was or my boss, hey, can I have a go at that? Is that an opportunity for me to, to do that? And I think nine times out of 10, most leaders, they'll love that. They won't say no, yeah. unless, unless actually it could be a real disaster. But it wouldn't necessarily be purely HR, I guess. So things like you're saying, going out and doing a sales pitch or things. No, like no, I mean, no. And I think it's, it's, it's things that, um, so listen, I don't see myself as a typical HR person. I don't know what a typical HR person is, but I don't fall into that category, I feel. And it's interesting, you know, when I've joined businesses and I'm sitting with a group of executives or other leaders and I'm starting to talk about a topic, they're kind of looking and going, is that person sitting, is that guy sitting in HR? How does he know that information? And I, and therefore, you know, uh, Wikipedia is a wonderful tool. So in the business I'm in, it's a property come technology company. I have no property background whatsoever. So when people are talking about financials and something called FFO, which is like EBITDA, but it's not, it's called funds from operations. Right. Then I'll go straight onto Wikipedia and I'll educate myself. Yeah. And I think therefore you can do that in many things within the world of HR. It doesn't have to be what people expect it to be. It's interesting because you said earlier that it was luck, um, not luck rather than judgment maybe about your career, but I can't, I mean, just listening to what you're saying, I can see absolutely how the fact that you've always been up for a challenge, whether it's a business challenge, and you've embraced learning and immersed yourself in the broader business on a regular basis. I can see why that would lead to you, um, you know, having a positive career within organisations in terms of being respected, but also being able to put stuff back into the business because you understand it. Yeah, and I, and, and I, I encourage, thank you, you're very kind, and I encourage the same of my team. So I encourage that, and, and, but to do that, I share information with them. I try and give them as many new learning opportunities to do things that they've never done before, or they've never necessarily felt they've had the confidence to do before. Yeah. And if there are other leaders uh, out there, or people, leaders listening to this, I encourage you to do the same. Give people a chance. Nine times out of 10, people will succeed. And give them the information and share information with them as well so that they can have that breadth. No, that makes sense. So in terms, if you were thinking back to your younger self, um, or obviously you are, you're bringing on people in your team, is there any advice over and above learning and challenge and immerse yourself in the business that you would give yourself? Oh, hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? In many ways, both in work and in life. Um, I think probably two things come to mind. One is bring yourself to work, be who you are. I think as a younger person, you tend to hide a little bit, not hide, but put away, you know, aspects of your persona and who you are because you think that's the norm and that's the way things need to be. And there are certain cultural norms within certain businesses, which clearly to be successful, you need to adapt to. But as I've progressed in life, I bring my whole person to work. And when it matters, when it really matters, that was when it makes the difference. So. 
a number of years ago, we had that horrible situation on a Friday evening in Paris yeah. when almost 100 people were killed. And I was working for Pateo. I was the HR leader for Europe. Friday evening, I got a telephone call from various people to tell me what had happened. We put in place some support mechanisms. I got on a plane Monday morning to go to Paris. There was no one else on the plane. Uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport was empty. There were not many cars on the motorway on a Monday morning traveling into Paris. I got to the office and I walked into a room and there were over 100 managers and leaders waiting for me to tell them what they needed to be doing. And actually, it's, it's only then do you really, really realize that we're bringing your true self to work and you make a difference. The other thing on the other side of that, I have a beautiful 16-year-old uh, daughter who I currently refer uh, to the Tasmania, as the Tasmanian devil, who's driving my life crazy, but I talk about her all the time. I share with my team ongoing challenges and relationship issues I may have with my wife. Not too much detail, be pleased to know, but <laughs> that's part of life. Yeah. That's part of life. That's who I am. And my team have, have marriages, have relationships, etc. Yeah. So why, why hide that away? That's part of who you are. The whole self. That's Yes, absolutely. And being really real. I like that. Thank you. So unfortunately, it's only a brief conversation this, so maybe we could talk further. But my final question for you is if you had a, an HR superpower, a magic wand, what would that be? I would wish away this stupid concept of possibly always talking about having a seat at the table. It's a ridiculous concept. First of all, you will be successful on the basis of what you do, not what table you sit at. And actually, there's many tables you need to sit around and many hats you need to wear to be successful. Uh, whether it's, you know, paying people on time is really, really, really important. And that's yeah. a key service generally we provide in HR, as well as doing the strategic stuff, whatever that might be. But actually, I think it's pretty strategic to pay people on time, don't you? So therefore, actually stop inward gazing and just be proud of what you do and you make a difference on a daily basis for people at work. Love it. That's fab. Thank you so much, Ian. It's been really great to have you on the HR Uprising. And great to talk and see you again after all these years. By the way. I know. <laughs> the, mar the marvels of technology. Thanks, Ian. Bye. So I'd like to welcome Helen Gilfillan. And Helen actually is an independent HR consultant who's also the franchise owner for the HR department in Essex and Bishop Stortford. And I know, Helen, I thought it was quite interesting to get you on the um, this particular HR Uprising episode because I know you've relatively recently taken on the franchise because we know each other from your previous role, don't we? So um, obviously it'd be good to have a bit of a potted history and also how you found moving into this independent route. Do you want to give me a, a bit of your background as to how you got to this point? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I started out a career basically in, in banking, but more on the, the secretarial side before moving into automotive retail, where I guess I fell into what was then called personnel. Um, and back in the 80s. I know, this is the ages, doesn't it, when we, <laughs> we remember personnel. <laughs> So back in the 80s, personnel was much more of a transactional function as opposed to the sort of integral partnering that we see today. So, yeah, um, show my age. 
Um, so I continued moving into sort of manufacturing. I went into various other industries with about pet food, a um, bit of the service sector. I did my CIPD qualification within that time, um, which was sort of late 90s. Um, and with a hunger to progress, I sort of remained in manufacturing, but I took my first standalone role um, in a sort of fiber optic um, electronics company. Um, there was various tupi transfers and they were taken over by um, a larger organization. I was then given responsibility for a different company as well. Um, probably remained in manufacturing for about 10 years and then I did a, a small stint in the public sector where I was uh, HR manager of the crime division for Essex Police, mm. which is quite an interesting role. I was say, was, it, was it interesting? It sounds like it should be interesting. Was it interesting? <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was a very interesting role. And, and I think interesting as much as obviously what you're dealing with, um, and it's not a profit-making organisation where you've come from private sector. So it does have a really different feel to it where you're not in there to look at the bottom line all the time. You know, it's all about serving the public. And no, it was very interesting. Um, so I enjoyed that. I was there for a couple of years and then I went into the print industry. And I think where I looked at my career path, it was trying to make sure I had elements of different areas. So a little bit of retail, service sector, uh, manufacturing. I did tend to stay within manufacturing because that's where you, you kind of get pigeonholed. Um, and the last role was very much unionized, which gave me another angle to look at a quite a heavily unionized industry, which was print. Um, and then more latterly, I um, was on the board of directors, a statutory board director for a, a large manufacturing company in Essex as their European HR director. Um, and it was there that I decided to do a master's degree in strategic HRM. And I guess that was my catalyst really to sort of think, right, come on, <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. Um, and I really wanted to, to have my own business and becoming part of a franchise was a way of going into that arena, but without being completely alone and starting from scratch because you had a whole network of, of people that you could um, you know, call upon. So I guess a sort of safety blanket in a way. Yeah, the model um, that you can use, it makes sense. I was gonna say, so yeah. you, um, lots of people would say actually they'd reach their destination by being European HR director, but for you, you actually wanted to be independent. Yes, yeah. And I think um, personal reasons as well, you know, the age of um, children that I had at home, it was nice that I could have a bit more flexibility. So even though my, I work many more hours than I ever used when I was employed, yeah. I can actually choose sometimes as to when I work those hours. So if yeah. I'm working up until 10, 11 o'clock at night, it doesn't matter if I've been able to do something during the day for a couple of hours. So yeah, you've got that freedom, haven't you? Freedom to choose when you work, even if you do choose to work harder. I completely understand that. Yeah, yeah. And while it's building up, you know, it's just trying to, you know, and it's, it's now, I think the, the excitement for me is, is going into, so, and having that commercial acumen, I guess, and having worked in private industry for so long and being on the board, you understand the commercial piece, the financial piece, business development, and you're then, you're doing that for your own business. So, you know, when I started um, with HR department, you know, I was very rare. I wasn't really doing HR stuff for the first few months until you start getting clients. And then went back to the basics of writing contracts, handbooks, helping people with scenery. Um, but the variety is just, you know, it's fantastic. You can go into small businesses 
and actually help them um, do a bit of strategy as well. So it's, it gives you a really good sort of breadth of, of things to, to get your teeth into. Yeah, I can see that you get your head around different bits of a running a business as opposed to the HR challenges. So if we yeah. um, if we thought about your career, because obviously you've had quite a number of different organisations and you talked about unions and you know different um, public sector and manufacturing. Um, are there any specific challenges that you've learned from over the years that would be worth sharing with our audience? I guess, I guess the challenges really are going from different industry sectors and even though, and the cultures, I think the cultures are very different. And even though HR is, you know, the people say well, it's generic and it's the same in every organisation, it is in a way, but where you want to really make a difference and add value is where you become integral to that business. So it's extremely important that you understand the whole culture and the different challenges that face those different industry sectors, whether it be skill shortages, unionised, um, just, yeah, just, I think these are the main, mainly the challenges probably. So it's, again, it's a business, not, business acumen yeah. around that, but it's relative to their industry or, or business. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But also, you know, fair share of challenging employees that, you see it's very character building each, each situation is different <laughs> totally totally so um in terms of your progression over time you said you know i'm going to get on and run my own business now you kick yourself to do it um is there anything that you'd do differently if you were to advise your younger self would you have done anything differently or advise others who are starting out on their career um well interesting question i think but my my immediate thoughts would be would I have studied a business or an HR degree earlier? Um, because I, I didn't. I went into, into college and did my degree and master's a lot later. Um, but I also think on the flip side of that, I'm going to contradict myself here, is there is an argument for having to be able to apply what you're learning as a degree in that environment. Mm. So I think sometimes the routes where you can maybe do a placement years, you know, it might have been good, I think, to have studied earlier on and it might have been a business degree or it might, have, you know, with an HR specialism to it, maybe. Yeah. And I think if I had my time again, I probably would have done that. Um, you know, and having watched my daughter do an internal business degree with an HR module, you know, I see her experience now going into industry a lot more than you know she's got a lot more experience than i had when i started out in the working environment so so possibly getting that education it's um, earlier you went although no regrets and there are benefits as you say in terms of you know being able to apply having some real knowledge possibly you do that and i was going to say do you feel that your cipd you've done a cipd and you've done a master's um yes. so do you think yeah. that you need to do those all did they add particular value to you or what's no i think they do actually i think especially the CIPD at the, the time that I did it. But I think it'd be very difficult to do that when you haven't got um, industry experience. Yes. Because, it, you know, it's all very well learning the theory, but then, you know, the, the challenge is actually in applying it in the real working environment. Um, but I think, and definitely the master's degree in terms of writing, just experiences at a, more of a strategic level. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I definitely... But uh, yeah, again, I'm not sure, say I contradict myself, whether I'd have done them earlier, whether I'd have found it as, um, not, I was going to say easy, <laughs> but it would be more challenging doing it early without being able to draw upon 
you know, 20, 25 years of experience in the industries. Absolutely. And it's one of those, it's not really, it's a funny question, isn't it? Because it's like, you always want to go, actually, no regrets. There were pro, there were always pros and cons to any piece. But what's clear yeah. is that you've definitely got value out of doing um, that, the educational piece along the way. It's felt like it's been absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of next steps, obviously, I know you start out in the last 12 months. I'm not sure when you did start out your, your current role. Mar- yeah, March this year, actually. I've got, six months ago. Not long. Yeah, yeah. Seven, six yeah, months well. ago. Yeah, so what are your aspirations and goals going forward? Well, um, really to expand my business within HR department, growing my client base. I think in another sort of year to 18 months time, I'd like to be looking at taking on another territory um, and possibly having staff as well. So, um, but that's certainly, yeah, I see myself now with HR department for quite a few years and then just growing that business. Yeah, Maybe becoming bigger, bigger and model. Just start and just getting bigger, really. Yeah, I love a challenge. So. <laughs> and I want to be successful. Absolutely. That sounds great. It makes a lot of sense as well. And so it's nice being part of something where you're not completely starting from scratch. And are you supporting yes. um, sort of small to medium sized businesses in HR department? Is that your target? Yes, primarily it'll be small and medium sized businesses. But on saying that, I am still doing work for a, for a client that's a lot larger business than where I've worked before, just delivering um training so i'm doing a management training um so you yeah there's a mixture but primarily you're building up your business with small and medium-sized businesses that don't have their own um hr department that makes sense so final question yeah final final question then helen so i don't know whether it's something that would help you in your previous role or in your current role but if you were to have a superpower an hr superpower (laughs) what what would you like it to be (laughs) well let me think i'm not sure about this hr superpower but i think i would love to have a harry potter invisibility cloak oh yeah is that when you've got to get on and do things stop people that must be a really large organization you need to get on and do something (laughs) yes well actually mine's got a different angle to it i would love to be a fly on the wall in meetings with managers and employees whether it be in an appraisal situation or just one-to-ones. So they don't know you're there and you'll never let on you were there, but you could then tailor your coaching and training to know where the problems were in that meeting. Cause you can guarantee a yeah. manager will say this happened, this happened. And you think actually did it. Yeah. And if I was there, I could then tailor that. Like um, it. Obviously letting on that I was in the room at the time. <laughs> Like it indeed. And that's very good. Essentially, one of the other people I've spoken to talked about a mind reading thing. And it's not, it's not dissimilar to oh, that in terms of being yeah. able to kind of understand where someone was coming from. But this is, this is actually, you'd have the specific examples of what they're doing and not doing. Yeah, so it would what help. What they're coaching. doing, yeah. yeah. They great. always think they behave in a different way, but it's always the perception of the other person, isn't it? Which is absolutely seen from their, you know, the same as it is in their eyes. So yeah, it'd be great. I love it. Yeah, home as well. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I think I don't think the hidden one though would be quite good at home as well. When you, when you, the kids want you to drive yeah. to drive them somewhere. Yeah, just <laughs> Sorry, I've got my own responsibility. Yes. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Helen. It's really lovely to have you um, on on the uh, podcast and wishing you loads of loads of success. I'm sure it's going to go from strength to strength with your. New thank franchise. you very much, and thank you for inviting me. Most welcome.
So I'd now like to welcome Lucy Barclay-Carr, who is HR, Finance and Operations Director within McGregor Healthcare. Welcome, Lucy. Thanks so much for coming on the HR Uprising. Now, that is quite a broad role. Would you tell us a little bit about that and obviously about your sort of career background before you came into this role? Uh, yes, yeah, so thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, first of all, my background's very eclectic. So I started life as a radiographer within the NHS. Um, but I've always had this entrepreneurial commercial um, need. So left the NHS and set up a company many years ago. Um, but have now set up this new company with various um, business partners. And I, if, I, if I'm honest, I've got a real natural attribute for financial figures and things, which drew me to the finance side. But I have a real passion for the HR element, not just the traditional um, less dynamic roles of payroll and things like that, but actually looking at strategic approach um, with our personnel planning and implementation, implementation of our workforce throughout the UK. So for me, um, personnel are the key to any successful business. So I'm very passionate about that side of things. So how do you sort of balance it in terms of your these three hats that you've got? Uh, it's difficult at times, if I'm honest. There's pools in various directions, but I actually find myself being in a very unique position because I have that input from all three aspects. So um, I'm also on the board, which for me is essential for HR. I think more and more um, uh, there needs to be more HR presence on at board level to really drive this um, agenda forward. Um, so for me... I think I'm very fortunate because I have a real control and overview of all aspects of the business and can really almost justify the HR element into that and the focus that we need to have on strategy. So you, I, can, I can see how you've got an OD strategic angle there and then because you've got finance and operations, you must control quite a lot of the people um, in, in the business, I'm guessing. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate. I've got a fantastic team um, that work with me. And over the years, as we've grown the business, that team, um, I've been able to delegate more um, tasks and roles and responsibilities down to them, which I've found great in that I'm able to really step back now and look at the more long-term strategic approach of how we do things, looking at our HR and our L&D um, facilitation within the company so really looking at um, um, a more overview whereas I think in the early days of the company it was um, you know the real I say the old-fashioned HR it was the recruitment the payroll and that element of it um, but I think that's probably bolstered I've just about to hopefully complete my C CIPD level seven and that's been fantastic it's it's given me real confidence within this area um, I was going to ask about that it's interesting I've spoken to someone else who's who's done that same qualification have you found that's been useful for for giving you this sort of breadth then this of, of sort absolutely of of the, it's almost like the confidence of the that you're doing things although you might be doing it instinctively right it's making sure that you know that you're doing it right by the book maybe well yeah and I think for me I'm obviously, again, very fortunate position in that we founded the company and we've built the company. And I think for me, um, as you said, having 
almost having the label of a model and going, well, that's what we do. Well, actually, yeah. we've got that right. It gives you a certain confidence. But I also do think when you're talking to strategic partners and things, um, it gives you a sense of credibility. Um, and that's always been very important to me to, to almost walk the walk. So sort of prove that you you know what you're talking about and you you can take it from a different level my take on it as well is well what I've really enjoyed about doing these qualifications is the interaction with different sectors yeah so I've actually learned a lot from um, interacting with other HR professionals on all levels but seeing how they approach problems and how they do things that that maybe traditionally wouldn't be used within our sector so it gives you a really broad knowledge base and a network that you can pull on and then in terms of what you did prior to being fantastic, so you've got this very much a business background, this entrepreneurship. Did you do any other HR roles um, before you founded McGregor? Not really, if I'm honest. I mean, other than, you know, the first company that I um, founded, um, it was just me. And again, there's that element of the HR where you're trying to attract the right um the right employees retain them so there was an element of that but if I'm honest if I look back now I was very naive and and kind of I'll say um fly by the seat of my pants there was no real structure behind it there was no real focus it was sort of you did it as you needed to do it um and I think for me this role is obviously a much bigger organization and it's growing into a much bigger organization so there's much more responsibility on me to get it right. It's almost you go from the reactive, don't you, when you're learning stuff, and then but the role and the size of what you're doing is needs to be much more strategic in terms exactly. of how you're de- delivering it. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm sure there's been plenty of challenges along the way. Have you got any specific HR challenges that are worth sharing with our audience that you've overcome? I think for me, it's about that balance. It's about realizing that the L&D side is as important as the HRM side. Um, for me, it's those two functions work hand in hand. Um, it's about our personnel and our employees, not just um, attracting them to the business. So making sure that our employee value proposition is the best it can be. So I'm a great believer that I, um, I like people to pick us as much as we pick them. Yeah. So we have a very open culture. Um, so through the recruitment process, we have um, a very open dialogue. And I think for me, that was a real turning point is looking at it from that perspective rather than just feeling that we were picking people. You know, people have to pick us. Yes. And I was just thinking what's really coming through is also the fact that you're commercial, um, very commercially aware of it, I guess, in terms of what you need to do. That is a, it, it, that's, that's very much linking the people part with your commercial part of it, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I, th- I don't think you can ever lose sight of the fact that uh, commercially, you know, we're doing this to um, retain and improve our market share within the sector. Um, but without that, we don't have the ability to grow and develop, or we wouldn't be here if we if we weren't um, uh, aware of that. So I think it's all about having that balance of realising the input that's required, but also keeping a keeping an eye on the return of investment. 
So making sure that what we're doing is effective, but not just from a bottom line, but effective from an employee perspective. So with your, um, in your current role, what would you say would be typical people related challenges then that you perhaps have to deal with or advise on or, or do you get your team to do that? Um, I think the biggest challenge is communication um, and ensuring that everybody's on the same page, but ensuring that there's open communication. We do a lot of work uh, culturally. I mean, we've got very, very strong mission, vision and values that we kind of live by. Um, but I think we also use uh, insights discovery tools. Mm-hmm. So everybody gets that when they start with the company. And what we found with that is it's developed a culture where we have very open dialogue, but we can challenge each other. But it almost takes away the personal element of challenge. Yeah. So for people who don't know that, so it's one of these color. It's basically knowing what color personality types and, and linked to a color, isn't it? Insights. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that's we. I've used similar tools, and, and I do know insights as well. But it's it's kind of gives you like a common language, doesn't it? So you might go, oh, that was a bit red, as opposed to that person was, uh, you know, a bit outspoken or something. So. Yeah, and I think it's also ensuring that 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 element um, is. It's, it doesn't become personal. So what we yeah. talk about is, you know, you've drawn on your red energy. So rather than it being, oh, you're a red, very red person, you've drawn on that red energy. Why would that be? Yeah. You know, or how that how is that being communicated across? So it, it gives a very unpersonal way of challenging each other. And actually what we find is as an organisation, touch wood, the element of... Um, uh, we, you know, we have a diverse workforce who could could, could really challenge, could be, there could be a lot of conflict. And we find that actually it's less so because we can have these open conversations. Yeah, no, I'm sure definitely it's one of the most powerful things because it's almost, it's just appreciating differences in terms of um, where conflict can arise is often just from natural differences or different communication styles. So if you have that, that language, that common language, it really helps. Yeah. Do you, um, if you were to look back at your younger self, and especially given you've got such a diverse, you know, you started out as a radiographer, what would, what have you learned? What would you advise yourself, um, you know, in terms of going forwards? Um, yeah, I think in terms of, of HR and, and what I've learned from when we started the company to now, I think um, it's it's focusing on your recruitment um, strategies and your procedures. So, um, ensuring that you, as I said before, um, they're picking somebody's picking you as much as you're picking them. So mm-hmm. your employee value proposition is really, really important. But also realizing that that very first interaction, that's the start of their induction training. So their first experience as they're being recruited is where they learn and discover more about us as a company and our culture. So from the very beginning it's important that people whether they're successful through the recruitment process or not they have a good experience um and again leading that on to the induction training course that's where you can set that psychological contract so you can set the expectations and and the deliverables from both sides and you're putting those building blocks in place for a long career Absolutely. I mean, because there's a lot of, of research now, isn't there, about talent, but it's not about waiting until the, you've got your induction. As you say, it's this, this pre-boarding, the whole, the whole employee experience right through the recruitment, through into the organisation. 
Well, it's right from the advert, and and it yeah. always surprises me. You know, I, I, one of our lines in all our adverts is a requirement to have fun at work. Okay. And and it always surprises me the number of people that come in and say that's why I applied, because you know why would you not want to have fun at work? And you think that's just, that's a fairly simple line to put in, but it seems to really engage people from the very beginning that you know that's the kind of culture that they want to be part of. And you're recruiting a certain type of person who's going to be attracted to that. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So a um, couple more questions. In terms of where you're going next, obviously, um, have you got any aspirations in terms of either personally for the role or, or where you want to take the, the overall people management structure? Um, I think for me, it's about that recognition or recognition that that you can never stop learning and develop. Every day I learn something new, you know, and I think it's that touching base with the foundation and realizing that no matter how much you do how much experience you've got how many qualifications you've got you'll always learn something from somebody um for me personally i'm doing a lot of work again i'll feedback to the insights discovery so i'm in the process of going through my practitioner qualification with that just to have a bit more knowledge and um around that but i think the coaching and mentoring side we're a very strengthful strengths focused organization and I think for me it's about developing that coaching and mentoring side of myself to become a more effective leader and that in, in, a, in a sort of strength space but pick, picking out your strengths and, and working on those or about being able to coach others around their strengths or both yeah I think it's picking out people's strengths you know I think we're, we're a great believer that it's it's all very well looking at people's weaknesses but if you've got a diverse team and then they're naturally drawn towards a certain behavior or a certain task then they'll be engaged in it they'll want to do it whereas if you push people too much out of their comfort zone into developing a lot of weaknesses you have the danger of disengaging so we're fortunate as an organization that we have a, a very diverse um, pool of attributes and talents that we can draw on so we can really play to those strengths fantastic now and that is that again it's going back down to a bit like your insights piece isn't it it's appreciating differences but strengths being slightly different um yeah. we've got a previous podcast actually um emily i think it's emily hutchinson that um she's written a book or writing a book on the strengths-based organization so that might be something also to add into your cpd that might be worth a look perfect um okay so oh gosh 12 minutes go so quickly doesn't it if you were <laughs> to have a superpower an hr superpower what would you say it would be lucy it's an interesting one because I thought about this and as to how how and I came up with the ability to fly. Okay. Um, and the reason I say that is because I would really love to be able to take that instant aerial perspective on things. So look at scenarios, situations, or individuals, and have that instant ability to see all sides of a discussion in a very objective, open, and unbiased manner. So you're taking in the whole picture. Because um, I think sometimes you almost challenge yourselves in situations and it can take you a while to, you realise you have to do it, but it takes you a while to maybe gather all the information and, and look at it. So that ability to fly above something and, and capture it quickly, I yeah. think that would be a great superpower. Definitely, like that helicopter view, isn't it? Okay, they've yeah. seen the, the bigger picture and not get sucked down a rabbit hole. 
exactly <laughs> fantastic oh well again these are superpowers we'd all love to have and I, I like that addition to it I'm not sure whether we'll manage it but it's, it's also just good to be aware of that thinking about am I taking that step back as well just having the awareness sometimes makes us think about it more Be yeah really, no, exactly it's been really great having you on Lucy thank you so much for joining us on the HR Uprising and I wish you lots of success for the future sounds very exciting yeah thank you very much thank you for asking me it's been great So that concludes our 12 in 12 series or the first week of it. I really hope you enjoyed the stories. I certainly love the idea about Ian telling us to go out and grab the opportunities and Helen's reflections on whether it's right. Should we ever have regrets? Is it better to study first or get that business experience first? And actually, does it really matter? And then Lucy, just all about keeping on learning all the way that keep, keep on learning, keep on challenging yourself. So I really enjoyed listening to our first three um, HR experts and HR professionals. I really hope you did too. And do tune in next week for our next three guests. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.